Um, right, well, first of all, I just want to start by um, blessing you. And I, I use this word advisedly, but it feels messy in here this morning. And I mean that in a really good way. Um, you, could, you could hear people chatter. when we, I mean, it's always good for me because I'm quite disorganized and always very messy. But um, it felt this morning like I could hear the children chattering and I could, it was a lot of hustle and bustle. And, I, and, and that felt good. And the reason it felt good is that it felt like family. It felt like when extended family come together and you've got everybody in one big room and you can hear conversations taking place. And I suppose that's a a really good thing because that's what you want from church, really. You kind of want two things. You want God's people coming together and worshipping, blessing God. And you want God's people coming together and enjoying each other's company. And that's what it felt like this morning. So thank you for making it messy in that sense. Um, We're going to continue, as um, Ben rightly said, by looking at prayer this morning. And we're going to look at the prayer of petition Petition simply means to ask for something. Um, And before I start, I just also want to highlight and thank the worship team for one of the songs that was there, which is Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Now, that is a very brave thing to ask for, actually, to open um, our eyes to to the Lord in that sense. Um, And I want to kind of read through part of the scripture that we've got this morning. And then I want to pray that, really. I want to pray that God opens our eyes to him through his word. But anyway, let's, um, let's start with God's word. We're going to turn to 1 Chronicles 4. And um, this is one of those, what I call, begot verses. Okay, we're going to have a bit of a genealogy here. I'm going to stumble over some very difficult um, words to pronounce. And then we're going to kind of get to, um, get to the rub of it. So, 1 Chronicles 4, verse 1, is as follows. The sons of Judah were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, Shobal, and Riah. The son of Shobal begot Jahath, and Jahath begot Ahumi, and Lahad. And these were the families of the Zorathites. These were the sons of the father of Etam, Jezreel, Ishma, Idbash, and the name of the sister was Hezalel Poni. And Punel was the father of Gedor, and Ezor was the father of Hushash. And these were the sons of Hur, the firstborn of Ephrath, the father of Bethlehem. And Asher, the father of Tekoa, had two wives, Hela and Nara. And Nara bore him Ahuzam, Hepha, Temeni and Hashtarari. These were the sons of Nara. And the sons of Hela were Zeref, Zohar, Ethnan. And Koz begot Anub, Zobeba, and the families of Aharol and the son of Haram. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Let's just pray briefly. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask as we sung this morning, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart to your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would challenge us, change us, and encourage us, Father, as we go through these words with you. Let my words fade away, Lord, and let your words remain. In your name, amen. So first of all, we have to put all of this into context, and that's a kind of difficult thing to do because we've got two contexts going on at the same time. First of all, we've got the context of the book. Okay, so Chronicles is an interesting book. The Hebrew title is Dibri Hayemim, which means the events of the days or the years. That's right, good doing well so far. Um, And the context of what's happening in relation to this book, and ultimately the prayer, is closely associated with what's happening in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Second Chronicles as well. Um, all of those books are kind of written around the same time and not necessarily in the order that they are in the Bible. Each of these books are asking similar questions. They're asking questions, um, well the Jewish people are asking questions like, now we're back after the restoration, what does God want for us? 
Do his promises still stand for our nation? Does it matter that we don't have a Davidic royal line on the throne? They're asking these big questions, and each of those four books are trying to grapple with them. And this is important for what we look at ahead. God has restored the Jewish people to their rightful homeland, and he's restored the Jews to Jerusalem, and now he would restore Jerusalem through and for the Jewish people. It's also worth noting that all of this is in the context of a renewal and restoration of faith in the Lord. We've read Nehemiah before as the church, so I won't go through it all. But in the public reading of the law, the restoration of the temple and the reintroduction of national celebrations, all of that is happening as Chronicles is being written. Nehemiah 8 reads, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then we read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and the women and those who could understand the law and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So when this is being written, there is a restoration, a renewal, if you like, of the Jewish people's faith in the Lord. But it mentions there the scribes. And these guys are also important. We'll come back to them right at the end, but just to mention who they are. The scribes are almost a subgroup of Levites. They were people who were involved in writing the law, but also writing down sometimes what the prophets said. For example, Baruch, who um, wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord. Now, at the time of the exile, so the time that the Jews are taken away from Israel, the scribe turned their attention to the law. So they started to write it down and copy it. And they did that as a reminder, if you like, for the Jewish people there in captivity to keep their name and to keep God's name going. So they became writers of the law, experts in the law, and leaders of the nation. As I said, we'll come back to them at the end because they're quite important. So you've got a recently returned Israel, the temple being rebuilt, Jerusalem and Israel being restored, and above all, you've got the law of God being read out and the people giving ear to it. That's kind of the context of the book. Okay, so that's where we are. But in terms of Jabez and what we can see there, we've also got a second context because this is a genealogy. So Jabez isn't alive at the time in which we're reading. They're looking back in time at him as well. So we've got two contexts going on at the same time. The time in which the book was written and it was all written down, but also the time in which Jabez was alive and what was happening there, just to complicate matters a little bit. So Jabez... To be honest with you, we can't necessarily pinpoint exactly the date when he was um, alive, but theologians basically say that it's around the time of David and possibly into Solomon, but certainly around the time of David. And that's a time in which the kingdom of Israel is actually being extended. So the kingdom of Israel grew in the time of David and Solomon. So we've got, again, two contexts taking place at the same time. I will get to it in a moment, but we just need to get through the context first. Okay, let's get back to it. So, the name of Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. So, we'll start with a name. If you have heard me preach before, you always know I like to get into the names and what they mean. And Jabez is absolutely no exception, but he is, for various reasons, quite exceptional. For a husband and a father, one of the... I'm going to look your way now, Steph. One of the things that's always incredible and that 
you can never really fully appreciate or understand is how women deal with the birth of a child. Because there they are, they give birth to the child, and you can't understand or imagine that type of pain. But as soon as the child is born, and they're in the mother's arms, they don't mention the pain at all. That love, that care they have for that child is suddenly there, and it's almost as if the pain evaporates completely, and it's not there, okay? That and a sugary cup of tea generally kind of helps. Yeah, it will, don't worry, it will. Yeah. Keep us updated. But the joy and the love of that relationship makes all of that pain go away. Now, here we have Jabez's mother not allowing that pain to go away, not evaporating, but keeping that pain in mind and naming her child after that moment of pain. Now, that is quite a thing to do. It's quite a thing to kind of feel all of that pain and say, well, this child has caused me this pain, and therefore I'm going to name this child after all that pain I can remember. That's quite a thing. Okay? Now, as I said, names are important. My name, as you know, is Lee. Now, you don't know, because none of you are called Lee, what Lee means. If I say Lee, it has connotations, mainly 1980s in the city deprivation, but we'll kind of leave that to one side. The name Lee means meadow. It's an ancient English name. Now, I know that because I've looked it up. My parents tell me what it means, okay? But generally, if you give your name to someone, they don't know what it means because there's no hint in the structure of the word in the name that tells you what it means. Jabez, however, is something slightly different because Jabez comes from the Hebrew noun asab, okay? Asab. Now, that word means pain, sorrow, Trouble, toil, grieving, and vexation. That's what it means. But the noun, the letters in that name, are the same letters that are in the name Jabez. So they've made it obvious. What she's done, what Jabez's mother and father have done, is that they've what linguists call a metathesis. There's a big word for the day, okay? Use that in conversation this week. A metathesis. They've taken the letters of the name and they've rearranged them. So it's like taking the word pain and taking the letters in that name and rearranging them. So you can almost see the word pain when you see the word Jabez. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever seen on the internet, sometimes they have a big paragraph and they keep the first and the last letter of each word the same and they jumble up the words in between. You ever seen that? And you can read it because your brain is that clever that you can kind of still make out the words. That's what Jabez's parents are doing when they give him that name. The word pain is still obvious to anybody who can see it. It's somewhere between a metathesis and, a, and an anagram, basically. Okay? So they're not just naming him Jabez, and nobody else know it, knows it knows pain. You can see it. You can recognize it. It's saying something. She's almost given him more than a name. She's giving him a label at the same time, so that when those people who meet him, they hear the word Jabez, or they see the word Jabez, and they know, they recognize it's something to do with pain. There were two brothers. I, it wouldn't be a preach if I didn't mention the English Civil War at some point, because I love it so much. Go and read about it, honestly. There were two brothers in the 1600s. In fact, there were two sets of brothers, cousins. And they were very important in the English Civil War. They actually gave their name to one of the parliaments. Their surname is Barebones. You can go away and read about the Barebones Parliament. But their parents were Puritans. And they also wanted to give their children a name that would say something about what their parents felt about them. The name of one brother was Praise God Barebone. 
his brother was called Fear God Barebone. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. You might think that's a good thing, or you might think that's a bit too obvious, whatever you feel about it. They're cousins, two other sets of brothers. The first one was called Jesus Christ came into the world to save, Barebone. And his brother was called, If Christ had not died for thee, thou hast been damned, Barebone. Okay? Now, when we talk about names being obvious, that's a pretty extreme example. Okay? Maybe you want to go away and think about that as a name, but you don't necessarily have to. For Jabez's mother, she's almost doing the opposite. She's not trying to relate his name to a praise of God. She's trying to relate his name to pain. Okay? Now, this may relate, and we'll come back to this, but this may relate as well to Genesis 3.16. Famous verse, you don't have to turn to it. It's where God responds to the fall of man, and he's talking to Eve. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, perhaps Jabez's mother is talking about the pain of that moment, but possibly she's relating it back to that moment, to the fall of man, and she's relating it to that. Again, we'll come back to it at the end. We'll get on to the prayer a bit more now. So, um, we can see the prayer in front of us. Jabez prays for five things. Okay? Five things. Oh, that you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, and that I might not cause pain. Five things. That you would bless me, enlarge my territory, your hand would be with me, you'd keep me from evil, and that I might not cause pain. Now, this is a really interesting prayer. I worked out when I was... Um, when I was preparing for the day, that it's nearly 20 years ago that I started university. A very depressing thought. Um, I know it doesn't look that way. Uh, but 20 years ago, uh, and when I started university, there were several Christian bookshops around the city. And they all had in their windows a certain book. And that book was called The Prayer of Jabez. And it was one of those, how do I put it, like a Christian craze. You know sometimes how you get a book that kind of sweeps the Christian world and everyone's interested in it? Um, called The Prayer of Jabez, and it was a very popular book, and on the back cover of the book, the author made some really interesting claims. The author of the book said that if you pray the Prayer of Jabez for 30 days, that you would prosper unquestionably. You can get anything you want, as long as you pray the Prayer of Jabez for 30 days. Now, that's a lovely idea, isn't it? Everybody reads a book, wants to buy that one. 30 days, anything I want, had an eye on a Porsche... Great. The problem is that when he's describing the prayer of Jabez, he's taking it out of complete context. It's only in the context that we can understand what the prayer of Jabez is all about. So let's go through that. We'll continue with the name, first of all, though. Okay? Because I can't escape that very easily. I do like a name. Um, I said earlier that Jabez's name meant pain. And his parents there have given him more than a name they've given him a label so that anybody he meets knows that his name is to do with pain now sometimes through no fault of our own we also can get associated with more than a name we can get associated with a label as well sometimes people are labeled as depressed or lonely or divorced or silly or whatever it happens to be Sometimes if you use the wrong words, I know this as a parent, sometimes you can unexpectedly use the wrong words to a child. Don't be silly. Stop doing that. You're being silly. And after a while, the child thinks that they are silly 
because you constantly reinforce that label. Now, what's happening here with Jabez is that he's been given that label and he's trying to escape from it. Notice in the prayer, he doesn't want, where are we, that you would, um, I may not cause pain. He's trying to escape from that label the whole time. Now, the great thing is that no matter what label that we are sometimes given in life, whether we reinforce it ourselves or whether it's reinforced by somebody else, is that ultimately it's not that name, it's not that natural birth that will define us. The names that we receive at birth are not the names that we will last with. For those of us that know the Lord, we know the day that we are born again, there is a new name waiting for us, that we will be known by a new name. Revelation 3, writing to the Church of Philadelphia, says this, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven. And I also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sometimes we get labels. Sometimes we reinforce those labels ourselves. And again, sometimes we get them through no fault of our own. But what Jabez is saying there is that I may not cause pain. He's saying, I don't want to live up to that label, to that name. And we all have that same choice. We can sometimes decide to reinforce, to live up to that label that somebody else has given us, or we can choose to remember that we are born again, and that in that moment, we are dead to our old lives. We are dead to those old labels that people have given us. And that instead, that new life that waits ahead of us, God will write his name on us. That's the name that I'm interested in. That's the label that I'm interested in, that's the one that you should be interested in as well. Because with that, there is no negative connotations at all. There is everlasting life in the Lord. Okay? So if you have been given a label, if you've struggled with a label, then I'm happy to pray with you later. But remember, that's not a label that you need to stay with. Again, we'll come back to that. Let's look at the other four points. We'll try and put them in together. That you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil. As I said, the danger that we face when we look at these verses is that we can look at them through a modern worldview. And that's kind of understandable because we live in the modern world. But if we're not careful, we look at these verses and we just say, this is about material wealth. He wanted an increase in his territory. He was asking for that much, much bigger house. He was asking for that much nicer car. He was asking for much more money. We can look at it in that way. But if we were to do that, we'd miss something very very important because Jabez is doing anything but that in many ways. Let me say at this point that there is absolutely nothing wrong with bringing our petitions and our requests before the Lord. We of course should be bringing those things before God. Philippians 4 says don't be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He wants us to bring those petitions to him. He wants us to bring those requests and those worries to him. There's nothing wrong with bringing those requests and petitions to God. Absolutely not. But Jabez is asking for an increase in territory, and we need to put that into context first of all. And remember, there are two contexts. First of all, the secondary context. So first of all, we've got the context of when this book is being written. You've got the Jewish people returning to Israel after being in exile. 
and they are rebuilding that kingdom. He's asking for an increase in territory because they are trying to rebuild. They're trying to kind of set up that kingdom again after being taken off somewhere. He's asking for it in that context, not for the sake of increase, but for the need of increase amongst the people. Okay, that's the first context. Remember that God had promised through Abraham and then through Moses and then brought into fruition through Joshua and Israel that that kingdom, that land would belong to God and that the Jewish people would inhabit it. So when he's asking for that, he's not asking for just some pie-eyed idea about I want more. What he's saying is, God, you've promised something to this people and I'm asking for you to bring it to fruition again. It's important we get hold of that. He's not saying, I want more, please give me more. He's saying, you've promised us more, and I'm asking you to bring that to fruition through me. There's a difference between those two things. The difference is he has asked what God wants. Therefore, to ask what he wants. That's the difference between those two things. What does God want? That's what I'm going to ask for. Again, however, there is that primary context. You remember I said that this is probably in David's reign, possibly in Solomon's reign, but if you look at maps of Israel, I like a good map, okay? History teacher, but occasionally geography comes in handy. I like a good map. If you look at the maps of Israel at the beginning of the kingdom of Israel, and you look at the maps of Israel at the end of Solomon's reign, you'll notice a difference, and the difference is this, the kingdom's bigger because the kingdom increases over that period because when they first inhabited the land, they didn't get it all in one go. It increases over time. So again, he's asking for it in the context of Chronicles, people coming back, but he's also asking for it in the context of when he was alive, the kingdom is being increased. Again, he's not saying, just give me more, thank you very much. He's saying, you want us to have this, okay, well, I'll ask for it. There's a difference between those two things. Again, let me remind you, though, that God asks us to bring our petitions to him. Okay? He wants to know what it is that we need and want. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And we should bring our requests and petitions to him. The second point here is what are we going to do with the things that are asked for? What are we going to do with the things that we ask for? Why are we asking for them? What are we going to do with them when we get them? Sometimes it's very easy, I don't know about you, but it's very easy to get into a prayer of just asking for some things and not really thinking it through. Yes, I'd, I'd like that, that new job. Thanks very much. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it or really why I want it. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll ask for that. Because sometimes we just kind of get into a, a routine of that. But again, what is the end of that? Why are we asking God for that? Sometimes, quite rightly, we need a bigger house because our family is expanding. Lord, I, I really need a new house. I can't fit the kids in where we are anymore. We're going to have to do something about that. Great. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we're asking for a new job. Lord, I've kind of got to the end of this job and I feel I'm ready for something more. Uh, you bring that request, that petition for God. Great. Maybe it's leadership in the church. Maybe, God's, maybe God has stirred you on something. You're praying for a leadership position. Great. But again, we have to question, what does God want first before we then ask for it? Ultimately, all of this comes down to the very end of verse 10. If you see, it says this. So God granted him what he requested. Now, that's quite a thing in of itself. Turn with me, please, to 1 Chronicles 2. We'll go back two chapters. 
the book of Chronicles is written in an interesting way, in the sense that it's not chapter 1, and then that leads on to chapter 2, and then that leads on to chapter 3, and it's all chronological. You have a bigger picture at the start that is then broken up into um, more detailed and understandable chunks as we go on. And so in many ways, chapter 2 is uh, an overview, if you like, of what happens, and then chapter 4 is breaking down some of that detail. You'll notice it's still dealing with the family of Judah. It says this, 1 Chronicles 2, verse 54. The descendants of Salma, Bethlehem, Netophathites, Atoph, Beth, Joab, half of the Masherites, and the Zorites, and the clans of scribes, notice scribes, who lived at Jabez. You have a group of people living at a place called Jabez. He asks for increase, and God gives him increase. He gives him more than what he asked for. First of all, he doesn't live up to his name. Would you keep me from evil that I may not cause pain? Well, he doesn't cause pain. He causes a city, a town to be built after his name. In fact, if Jabez was named after the fall of man, then what he sees is the goodness of God in his lifetime. And that label that he's given dies. And the city bearing his name is the city of God's scribes and God's priests. He's called pain, but he leads to a city he outlives his name, if you like. He goes away from his name and that label that he's been given and God blesses him with this town and with this city. But there's more than that. God increased his territory. He increased it more than he had anticipated. He didn't give him an extra couple of fields or an extra couple of acres. He gave him a city that would bear his name. And who's in that city? It's the scribes. It's those people who are copying down and sending out the word of God. Not just anyone, not just a group of people, not just his extended family, but those people who are the leaders, those people who are the experts, those people who are reading and constantly retelling God's word. Those are the people there that are in his increased territory, not just anyone. And so if we put it into a modern context... We talked about asking for that job. Well, great. Let's go. Let's ask for that new job. But if you're asking for the job, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it for God's glory? Are you going to use that influence to tell people about Jesus? Are you going to use those finances to bless his kingdom? You're asking for the bigger house because you're an expanded family. Great. But if you're doing that, are the doors going to be open for God's people? Are you going to ask him for it first so it can be a blessing to him? You want to be a leader in church? Brilliant. Ask for it. Petition God for it. But if you are going to do that, are you asking simply for position or are you asking so that God can be blessed through your leadership that you can lead more people to him? You see, Jabez asked for increase and God gave him increase, but he gave him increase because Jabez first understood what God wanted and asked for that in his request. He wasn't just asking for more. He was asking for more of what God wanted. You understand? There is a big difference. So are we going to bring our petitions and our requests to God? Absolutely. But before we do that, let me just challenge you on it and ask you to search your heart. Your heart, rather. Why are you asking for it? Is it in line with God's will? Is it in line with God's word? And what are you going to do with it when you get it? Are you going to use it to bless God? Or simply use it to bless yourself. I'm going to start tying up now. 
and I want to um, just talk very briefly about C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon was a great um, preacher, um, and in the lead-up to this, I was reading his sermons. It took a long time because they're very, very long, um, and it's one of those things where you're reading through and you're thinking, my word, I'm not going to live up to this in the slightest, and of course, um, you wouldn't, but he says something in the passages of one of his sermons that kind of stuck with me and stayed with me. And I want it to kind of stick and stay with you. This is what he says when he's talking about requesting and petitioning something from God. He says as follows. Let the grace of God prompt it. Let the choice of God appoint it. Let the bounty of God confer it. And then the endowment will be something godlike indeed. Something worthy of the lips that pronounce the benediction, the blessing. And verily to be craved by everyone who seeks honour that is substantial and enduring. Let the grace of God prompt it. Let the choice of God appoint it. Let the bounty of God confer it. I want that to be our prayer this morning. I want that to be our prayer for the petitions, for the requests that we come to God with. I'm just going to kind of start to round off now by praying those things over us but before I finish and before I pray I just want to offer and invite that perhaps there are things that you're seeking God for perhaps there's something that God has put on your heart perhaps there's a petition that you want to put before God and maybe something stopped that from happening or maybe it's something that you haven't prayed for enough I want to pray with you for that this morning and the second thing I want to offer as well is the idea of that label Sometimes we can carry those labels with us. And sometimes it's not easy. But as I said, God offers you a new label. He offers you a new name. He offers you his name. And again, if that's something that has kind of played on your heart this morning, then again, I just want to encourage you, I'm happy to pray with you, that God will break that label and that it's your name and his renown that would be the marker for your life. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would search us and know us. The petitions, the requests that we come before you with, Father. I pray first, Lord, test us. And let us know, Lord, if it is your will by your word. And if it is, Lord, bring those things to to fruition, Lord. Bring them to life. Father, if they are not, I pray you would give us wisdom and understanding. And that you would place upon our heart a new petition, a new request that would be a blessing to you. And Lord, we remember those words of Spurgeon. Let the grace of God prompt it. Let the choice of God appoint it. And let the bounty of God confer it. In Jesus' name.